we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Can we give a big round of applause for all the moms, grandmothers, ladies in our life who love us? Yeah, uh, Andrew was spot on. We learn how to give. Many of us do. First of all, by learning from our mothers and our grandmothers and for those ladies in our life. And I want to welcome everybody here, whether you're online or in the house. Thank you for joining us on this very uh, special Mother's Day weekend. And if you're online, you can participate in many of the things that we have going on. Uh, Kevin will show you how you can apply for the raffle, how you can kind of join, apply for the raffle. How you can enter the raffle and be a part of that. And here in the house, you can do the same thing in the crossing. Ladies, when you leave, please get a carnation. It's just a kind of way of saying thank you, kind of uh, who we, how we think of you as a flower, just beautiful in God's creation. And uh, make sure you stop at the photo stations and enjoy this moment of capturing it with your family. So uh, it says Mother's Day weekend, and I want to begin this thing by giving a shout-out to my mom. I shot her a text this morning, but I've not yet been able to see her. And I'll see you, Mom, here sometime later on in the day. And y'all hear me talking quite a bit about my dad So I just kind of want to give a moment about my mom, and I want you to know that my mom, there's two things about my mom, that my mom is the smartest, and she is the most uh, stunning human being you will ever meet. I would say smart and stunning. First of all, you need to know that never, ever, ever accept the challenge for my mom to play a game that requires memory or intelligence. She will beat you, (laughs) and she will enjoy doing it. Because my mother at 83 years of age has the capacity and brain power of remembering and learning new things and she knows new things. And my mother on the outside, she's, my mother's very classy, she's well put together, she's very a good sport, but on the inside, she loves to win and she will beat you bad. She will. I'm telling you, she will. And any of you who used to walk in the neighborhood where we live, or you did the things on the steps with my mom and walking, uh, 80 years of age, did any of you ever beat her? No, because she loves to win, and she can win. And the other thing I'll say, that my mother is stunning. And just in case many of you don't know my mom, uh, but my mom and dad got married when I was uh, (laughs) an idea in their mind. Um, uh, Because my mom was 15, and she had me when she was 17. Now, that means that when I was 15, my mom was only 32, and she looked like this, okay? And so, my high school friends at 15, when she would take me to school, they thought I was hiding an older sister somewhere, and they wanted to date my mom. And I got to tell you, I went through therapy for a long time with the image of my friends trying to date my mom. But, my, but mom, happy Mother's Day. You are the smartest person, most stunning still today, mom, human being that I know. I love you. I can't, I can't wait to, to see you after a while. Now, I hope everybody has a great Mother's Day weekend, but I also want to acknowledge something. This is perhaps the most emotionally complicated day of the year. I know that for some of you, it's not complicated at all. It's simple. You have unfettered joy, just gratitude. You do. Uh, There are some of you, not so simple, not so uncomplicated. 
Uh, for some of you, you wanted to be a mom, never became a mom. So this is a weekend you just endure it. Can't wait for it to be over. Some of you, you have an estranged relationship with your kids. You're not sure if they're going to call you or check in later on today. At the very best, a relationship is difficult. And today reminds you of the hole in your heart. And you feel it. Maybe you're someone, you decided that, you know, I don't want to be a mom. I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a parent. And for the most part, you feel pretty good about that. You feel like God didn't wire you that way, and you're at peace with that. Except on this weekend, when you feel like our culture, by the way we do this thing, Mother's Day weekend, you kind of feel like a second-class citizen, like you don't fit in to the culture. So today, you're a little, it's a little awkward. Maybe years ago, you terminated a pregnancy. And today, you feel the weight of that. Maybe your own mom, too quickly, died and went on to be with Jesus. And it's fresh. So today's kind of a bittersweet day. You, you loved your mom and you celebrate your mom, but you feel the emptiness of her passing. Or maybe the horror of all horrors, the worst of all, you had a son or daughter die before you. And that's not just the way things are supposed to happen. And it took everything you could to even come to church this morning or to join in online because the pain of that is so fresh. Now, this morning, wherever you are in this whole Mother's Day spectrum, I want you to know you're welcome here. And that when Jesus came, one of the things that Jesus did was start a family. It's called the family of God. And so if you're here on Mother's Day weekend, I just want to say to you, welcome home. God is glad you're here and you're welcome here with whatever you are experiencing today. Most mothers figure out at a pretty young age that being a mom doesn't instantly lead to higher levels of happiness. In fact, all the research shows that it will lead to more meaning in your life but not always to more happiness. It is wonderful and exciting but it's hard and challenging. And all the research shows that in most marriages, on average, the happiness level goes down when kids start coming. Classic research study, they laid out to these, these, these young parents these 19 different things that happen in a household when you have a family. And they said, rank them, rate them in order of the highest value and meaning in your life and priority. Caring for kids wasn't number one. It was 16. Came behind food preparation, food cleanup, exercise, watching TV, talking on the telephone, behind cleaning up the house. Because being a parent can be, you know. I remember when our, our firstborn came along, and I had these romantic, idealistic pictures in my head of what it was going to be like to be a parent. And I, I was determined as a dad, I was going to protect my kids from everything. I drove home 25 miles an hour from Wichita General Hospital. I have the hazard lights on. <laughs> Stay away from this car. 
With the third one, I got a speeding ticket. <laughs> yeah. That's how it changes, right? The more kids you have. You know, and I had this, I had this romantic image of what was going to happen. I was going to hold this little boy, and I was just going to hold him and rock him, and I was going to feed him. And I, he would smile up at me like he knew who I was. And while I'm holding him, I would just be quiet and listen to the little sounds that babies make. Don't you love the sounds that babies make? And just listen to those sounds. And, and he would know it was me. And there would come a time where I would grab his little hand and I would help him learn how to walk. And, and I would help him learn how to talk. And for all three of our boys, I kid you not, I had a commitment. Your first word out of your mouth will not be mom. It will not be dad. It will be ball. B-A-L-L, as in baseball. Success. <laughs> but I remember that when I first became a parent, I, I discovered how selfish I was. I remember those nights of just being sleep-deprived and being desperate for sleep. Anybody remember? Just desperate. If I could just have five more minutes of uninterrupted sleep, please. I recall laying there in bed, and, and he would wake up, and I would kind of wake up a little bit, and I would kind of pretend I was asleep and look over at Dallas to see if she was moving. <laughs> and if I saw her moving a little bit, I would just, Okay. This is going to work. And I would just pretend I was asleep. And pretty soon she would get up and start to move. And I would say, oh, honey, you want me to get him? She's already out of bed. Oh, no, you just stay there. I'll take care of it this time. You sleep. I got the credit for wanting to get up, and I got more sleep. <laughs> I was nothing like Jesus when I became a parent. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Few of us are. I remember asking Dallas after our third born. We have three sons. Justin, Jacob, and today is Jacob's birthday. Happy birthday, son, just in case you can hear my voice right now. And James. And I remember asking her after the third one was born, I said, babe, are you just supremely happy? She wasn't even happy with the question. <laughs> she said, are you kidding me? I got these three little guys all the time just wanting something from me all the time. They're picking each other. They're spilling stuff. There's on the mess. I got to clean up. I got to feed them. I got to take care of this. I, I'm at their beck and call 24 hours, and I have to take care of you. <laughs> she said, I'm exhausted. And they don't tell you when you become a parent that it's forever. That it's not over when they go to school. It's not over when they graduate. It's not over when they get married. You're a parent for life. And sometimes things don't turn out in these adult parent relationships like you want. Gets a little complicated. Sometimes our kids don't turn out the way we dreamed or hoped. I did a little Google search on the most disappointed parent in the world. I came up with someone who wrote a letter in Great Britain to his adult children who are married, who squandered, he felt like, the time, the energy, the money he invested in them when they were growing up. And here's what he writes. Dear all three, it is obvious that none of you has the faintest notion of the bitter disappointment each of you has in your own way dished out to us. 
we are constantly regaled with this chapter and verse of the happy, successful lives of the families of our friends and our relatives, and being asked of news of our own children and grandchildren. I wonder if you realize how we feel. I can now tell you that I, for one, and I since mom feels the same, have had enough of being forced to live through the never-ending bad dream of our children's underachievement. I want to hear no more from any of you until, if you feel inclined, you have success or achievement or a realistic plan. I am bitterly, bitterly disappointed, Dad. Hmm. This letter went viral. Everybody around the world. Now, some of you right now, you hear that letter, you're feeling pretty better. You're feeling a little better about your family. You're thinking, man, my family's not so bad. Some of you are thinking, I heard those words. My mom said the same thing. My dad said the same thing. I could never measure up. I was never, ever, ever good enough, and it was worse than that. Where do you go when you have a disappointed heart because of someone in your family? Where do you go when you are more than six foot apart? There's a distance. There's a separation between someone that you love and you're so far apart. Where do you go? The Bible is a story of a parent who was disappointed. Had good reasons for disappointment. The letter we just read was from a parent, a disappointed parent, who had superficial reasons. And they responded publicly in a very hurtful way to their kids. The Bible is a story of our good, good father, a good, good parent, who has a disappointed heart and the way his kids are turning out. But he responds in a way that can be the foundation upon which you and I can respond to our kids if, and our, and our mothers and fathers if we will allow it to. So we're going to be in Hosea chapter 11. I'm going to read from Hosea chapter 11. And this is the word from the prophet Hosea from the mouth of God himself about his family that uses a picture of disappointment and kids and family and all that sort of stuff. And look what it says right here, verse 1. We'll put it on the screen. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. They were slaves. I called him out. But the more they were called, the more they... They went away from me. That's you and me. The more God calls us, the more we run away. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim. Ephraim is a nickname. No, you have a nickname for your kids? That's all that is, a nickname for Israel. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was me, that it was I who healed them. That I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, 
I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them? Won't they experience the consequences of the choices they make in turning away from my way? A sword will flash in their cities, verse 6. It will devour their false prophets. It will put an end to their plans. My people, my children are determined to turn from me. Anybody have any kids that seem determined to turn from you? God says, my kids are doing that, and even though they call me God Most High, I will by no means exalt them. Now, let's stop right there. We'll come back. Church, this gives us incredible insight into the heart of God, to the expectations and hopes that God has for his children and the disappointment of his heart of things not turning out as he wanted or he desired. This reveals could be that God could be the most disappointed parent that's ever existed. But he doesn't respond publicly like the other dad did. He responds in a totally different way. But this is God's heart for you and me. This is it. He says, listen, when Israel was a child, I just loved them. They were a nobody. They were just a bunch of slaves. They never had done anything for me. They never helped me. They never said a good word to me. Just like your own kids. But I just loved them, God said. And I taught them how to walk. I took them by the arms, but they didn't know it was me. They didn't even know. It was I who held them. It was I who picked them up and cuddled them. And when their little boo-boos were, and they had these, these, I healed them, the scripture said. I healed them, but they did not know it was me. I bent down. I fed them. I gave them something to eat, but they did not know it was me. How could my kids not know it is me? Every morning you wake up, every morning there's someone in your life you are allowed to love. Every morning you have food on the table. Every morning you wake up and this heart is still beating. And there's a brain wave. And your lungs can breathe. Every day can come to an end and you can go to bed and wake up again. How can you not know that is God allowing you to live and enjoy this life? It is God. But God says, my children did not know. They did not know. They didn't didn't seem to know. And, And not only did they not know, my kids, they kept running after other gods. Baal, Zeus, sex. Success, money, power, influence, fame. He says, I thought my relationship with my kids was going to be different. I thought they were going to know that I loved them. They were going to love me back in the same way. I thought they were going to be straight A students. I thought they were going to play varsity. I thought they were going to graduate from high school and go to college or go in the military or get a certification. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought they would do something for their lives. 
And I thought eventually I would get the bumper sticker or I would get the photo with my kid that I could post on social media that would go viral so everybody would know how awesome is the relationship between me and my kids. But it's not happening. And the question is, how is God going to respond to his kids who are turning out a disappointment to what God had hoped and expected? How's he going to respond? What's he going to do? Read what's next. Verse 8. How can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I quit on you? How can I turn my back on you? How can I treat you like Admon? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. Go look at the scriptures a little deeper. That's really saying is that my insides are churning. That's really what it's saying. My insides in the Hebrew, my insides are churning. I love that. So that my compassion is aroused. Hey, I am not going to carry out my fierce anger. I will not devastate Ephraim, my little kids, Israel again. Why? Because they're getting better? Because I expect they're going to turn out differently? Because they're finally towing the line? No. Because I am God. I am not a man. I am not human. I am the Holy One among you. And I will not come against their cities. I will not come against them because I know, I know, I know they will follow. They will follow. They will follow the Lord. Church, this is an amazing response. This is so unlike you and me. This is so unlike us human parents. The critical word here in the text is holy. God says, I'm holy. I'm not going to respond like everybody else. Holy in the scriptures means set apart. And we in the church have done a disjustice to that word set, called holy, set apart. We think of it as God being so far away, God is removed, that God is emotionally disconnected, that God is harsh, that God is strict, so much so that God really can't get into our lives and love and care with us. That's not what I mean at all. God is saying, I am holy. And that is not an obstacle to me be able to love my kids. It is the foundation upon which I love my kids, that my love is not conditional. I don't love like the world does. How do you love? You reject me, I reject you. Am I lying? You reject me, I reject you. That's how the world goes. But God says, I am holy. I am set apart. I don't love that way. My love is different. It's not dependent upon how you treat me, how you speak to me, what you do for me. How does the world live? Hey, you please me, I'll love you. You make me happy, I'll make you happy. You give me something good, I'll give you good stuff back. You scratch my back, I, but if you hurt me, I will hurt you. But God says, I am holy. I'm not like the world. 
And my kids can turn their back on me. They can hurt me. They can go against me. But I love them anyway because I have promised to love them. I have promised, promised, promised to love them. And church, love is not a feeling. Love is not some sort of gushy little thing because you get something on Mother's Day or Father's Day or whatever is your day, and now, okay, you want to give something back. Love is a promise that I love no matter what. And that's the way God loves. It's not based on conditions. There's a little book that I started reading to my boys when they were uh, young. It's called Love You Forever. I got it right here. I'm going to read it to you. It's a story about a love between a promise, a promise of love, that love is a promise between a mother and a son. And uh, I'm, there's a story behind the story, so I'll tell you the story behind the story in a second. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's a little sappy. Some of you have heard it before, but hang in there. Some of you moms, get your tissues ready, okay? I'm just giving you a forewarning. And uh, this is a book I read to all my sons. A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And while she held him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The baby grew, he grew and he grew and he grew and he grew until he was two years old and he ran all around the house. He pulled all the books off the shelves. He pulled all the food out of the refrigerator and he took his mother's watch and flushed it down the toilet. And sometimes his mother would say, this kid is driving me crazy. But at nighttime when that two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of his bed and if he was really asleep, she picked him up And she rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. Well, that little boy grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was nine years old. And he never wanted to come in for dinner. He never wanted to take a bath. And when grandma visited, he always said bad words. And sometimes his mother wanted to sell him to the zoo. But at nighttime, when he was asleep, the mother quietly opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, and looked up over the side of the bed. And if he was really asleep, she picked up that nine-year-old boy and rocked him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The boy grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was a teenager. He had strange friends. He wore strange clothes. He listened to strange music. And sometimes his mother felt like she was in a zoo. But at nighttime, when that teenager was asleep, the mother opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, and looked up over the side of the bed. And if he really was asleep, she picked up that great big boy. And she rocked him back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Well, that teenager grew. He grew and he grew and he grew and he grew until he was a grown-up man. He left home. He got a house across town. But sometimes on dark nights, 
the mother got into her car and drove across town. And if all the lights in her son's house were out, she opened up his bedroom window, crawled across the floor, and looked up over the side of his bed. The mother's getting creepy. <laughs> She's getting weird now. And if that great big man was really asleep, she picked him up and she rocked him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Well, that mother, she got older. She got older and older and older. And one day she called up her son and she said, you better come to see me because I'm very old and I'm sick. So her son came to see her. And when he opened the door, she tried to sing the song. She sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, but she couldn't finish. She was too old. She was too sick. So the son went to his mother. He picked her up, and he rocked her. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he sang this song. I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living. My mommy, you'll be. When the son came home, he stood for a long time that night at the top of the stairs. Then he went into the room where his very new baby daughter was sleeping. He picked her up in his arms and very slowly rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while he rocked her, he sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. People are born and people die. Generations come and generations go. But the love of God is forever. Now the story behind the story is the author did not live a Hallmark card kind of life. At the age of five, he was diagnosed as being bipolar. Any mom in this room who has a child that's bipolar, you know the pain of that diagnosis. When he was a teenager, he was diagnosed as OCD. In the fifth grade, he wanted to commit suicide because he was so depressed. He went to seven years of Jesuit school thinking he wanted to be a priest. But because of his, all the struggles in his life, he wasn't sure if he could believe in God. He walked away from it. He got married. She got pregnant, gave birth to a child, stillborn. Got pregnant again, gave birth to a child, stillborn. Could never get pregnant again. So he decided to write a story where love was stronger than death. The two kids that lived in the hands of Jesus, that he and his wife would continue to hold them and rock them and sing that song because God's love surpasses even death. Now, church, you and I had this idea that when you become a parent, if you just love them enough, if you just tell them you'll love them enough, they'll turn out wise, they'll turn out courageous, they'll make good choices, they'll have a great family, they'll live a good life. And then you get to the top of the stairs toward the end of your life. And there's a distance between you and your kid. 
there's a stupid argument. I mean a stupid argument. They made a stupid choice. And now you realize that your love alone was not enough to help them to get to where they needed to be. And you feel, you feel like a failure even though you're not. Where do you go when you have that kind of heart? I'm going to give you three quick thoughts. Three really quick thoughts. Here's the first one. I will talk to God about my disappointments. I will talk to God. Let me tell you something. Your heart will naturally leak out any disappointments you have. I don't care if you're male, female, whatever. Your heart will leak out. And your kid, you cannot hide it from your kids. A, a mom lost her cool. She had a meltdown moment. I mean, she just melted. Many moms ever had a meltdown. She just went, melted down. The kids were picking at each other, stuff all over the floor. The mom was just going crazy. And finally, she just screamed, kids, would you please just be quiet? Get outside. Just get outside. The little four-year-old paused at the door. Mommy, are you angry with me? No. See my smile? Mommy will just be happier if you go outside. <laughs> then why are your eyebrows angry? <laughs> you can't manage your eyebrows. Kids know. You can't hide what you're feeling in your heart. It will leak out. And some of you think you come to church, that you think the church is a place where only good families and good marriages and good little kids, healthy and strong, where there's no alcohol issues, there's no depression, there's no fighting, there's no complaining, there's no kid leaving the reservation. Only good, little, wholesome, healthy people come to church. And I'm telling you, no, that is not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Nobody's perfect here. Nobody is. No family is perfect. And you're all welcome here because our eternal Father says, welcome home. Don't you be living under the lie that if you don't have a perfect family, you don't fit in. It doesn't exist. And sometimes the only place you can bring is bring and talk to God about it because he understands like nobody. And here's the second one. I will not base the well-being of my heart on the outcome of someone else's life. I want to repeat that. I will not base the well-being of my heart on the outcome of somebody else's life, not even someone you love, not even your kid. And I'm going to just linger here a moment because this is so important. I'm going to give you a statement I hear all the time, and I want you to know this statement is, a pit, is a, from the pit of hell, and it's a lie. A mother's heart cannot be happier than her least happy child. A mother's heart cannot be happier than her least happy child. And that is the most demonic, ugly statement that could be said to a mom. It is from the pit of hell. It is guilt-ridden. It is should-ridden. And we know how I really feel about it. Don't buy into that garbage. Don't buy into that, moms. That's not the plan. God doesn't live his life that way. God doesn't say, oh, no, oh, no, my worst kid. I got this, this, this one kid, this prodigal daughter, this prodigal son, and, and they're just so miserable. So my heart's got to be miserable, too. Oh, no, I'm just so upset. Oh, oh, no, no. God doesn't live like that. Why should you live like that? 
But we do. And we get all, who wants to live in a universe with a miserable God? Who wants to live in a home with a miserable mom? A miserable dad because somebody else is miserable. A mom, adult, daughter, and they're estranged. And the mother's at her wit's end. She's the end of a rope. She can't get them reconciled. She doesn't know what to do. But she's got a mother-in-law who knows what to do. And her mother-in-law, Bobby, made up name, Bobby, she had three perfect kids. Three perfect kids. And she didn't even use up all of her wisdom on her kids because they were so perfect. So she gives all of her wisdom to her daughter-in-law who has this strength with her daughter. And she tells her, you do this, everything will be fine. And so she goes to God, the mother, Luanda, she says, God, God, you gave me the wrong kid. I'm sorry. Just, just, she should belong to Bobby. Bobby knows what to do. And God said very clearly, she journaled. No, I gave, allowed that little girl to be born to you. She needs you, not her. She needs you, the best you you can be. And I will work with you, and I will help you. And he will say, the outcome of your life does not depend on the outcome of her life. Your connection with me is not based on how good a parent you are. We confuse this. We confuse this. There's a little book called The Guardian and the Carpenter. And it's, we took the word parent, we made it a noun, we turned it into a verb. I must not be parenting good. I'm not be parenting well. If I would parent it better, my kid would have turned out better. Should, should, should. God doesn't do that. Man, if I would have got it better, maybe my kids would have turned out better. If I would have done God, if I would have got it better, God doesn't say that. You know, maybe my kids need another God. Maybe they need Bell. Maybe they need Justin Bieber. Maybe they need Molly Cyrus. God doesn't say, man, maybe they all be. But God doesn't say that. Why do you do that? God allowed you to be those kids. Embrace it. Live in it. And just be the best you can be. And trust that God's going to show up. Here's what we do. And I'm just going to give you this statement that my dad gave me years ago. And uh, I'm going to give you the last thing here. And this may be why somebody came here today. And I wrote it down uh, because some of you just, just, here it is. Love does not mean putting your personal well-being in the hands of your least emotionally healthy relative. Are you getting this? Love doesn't mean you crawling in the hole and just being miserable because my kids turned out miserable and they're just sorry and nothing's working out. Oh, you want to give your kids a gift? You turn to God and ask God to forgive you. You ask God to help you and then you give your kids that. Don't crawl in the hole with them. I'm not trying to be cold-hearted here. I'm just saying that some of you, some of you, and God doesn't do your kids need you to be strong in who you are in Jesus Christ. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's what you give your kids, not just groveling the hole with them. That's all I'm saying. With love in my heart. And here's the final one. Here's the last one. I will not let my disappointment somewhere blind me to the good elsewhere. Here's a promise. Every single person in your family will disappoint you sometime. And if all you do is focus on the disappointment of that kid or that spouse or your mom or your dad, if that's all you see, if that's all you see, the danger is they become what you see, they become a failure, 
They become the family reject. They become the mess up. They become that one, and they will live out that prophecy because that's what you see, and that's what you focus on. And when you do that, when you say, you are a disappointment to me, when they hear that word disappointment, church, your relationship gets a tank. They will just bail you on you and quit. You've got to look for the good. I don't care how much bad there is. You look for the good, and you notice the good, and you call it out. You call it out. You call out the good. Paul said, love keeps no record or longs. It looks for the good. And it's really easy. My wife is walking into her gym. She hasn't changed clothes yet from work. She's walking in, and this 25-year-old girl looks at her shoes. When she got home, I said, babe, how was your day? Great. Well, why was it great? Because Amanda, the 25-year-old girl, said, cute shoes. (laughs) I did not realize how little it took to make my wife happy. (laughs) All she noticed was her shoes. Look for the good. I love how you smile. I love how organized you are. I love how on time you are. I love how creative and how you move with the flow and just kind of like a butterfly show up whenever you can. I'm just saying you look for the good and you point it out and you focus on the good. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. Here's how we're going to close. Because I know we stirred up a lot of stuff online, tree worship, sanctuary, whatever here in the house. I just want to kind of give you a moment to kind of get still and get in touch with whatever's in your heart. And I'm going to invite you to bring it to God, whatever's in your heart. Maybe your heart this morning is so full, just simple gratitude and thanksgiving for a mom that was off the chain. She gave and she gave and she gave and she loved you in ways that and all you can do is just say, God, my heart is full of gratitude. Or maybe you heard nothing but disappointment and never measuring up from your mom or your dad and your heart's full of resentment, hurt. Maybe you're a parent. And you feel so inept, incompetent. <laughs> you feel like a failure. Maybe you have a kid that just hasn't turned out the way you really hoped. You loved them the best you could, but still, it still hasn't turned out. And you just go, ah. Just bring it to God. Just tell God. Father, I pray you pour out your grace, you pour out your forgiveness, you pour out your wisdom, you pour out your strength, you pour out your power, you pour out your holiness into your people, God. That we walk out these doors, whether we get the phone call, the phone call doesn't come, whether the kids come over or they don't come, whether there's a gift or there's not a gift, God, that somehow we will love them like you love us, not based on anything they do or don't do, God. Help us to be like you. discovered in our lives because of one word.
And that word is mom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May it be so. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great time. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.